Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and this week I have drug a friend of mine in so we can have a very fun, enlightening, and lighthearted conversation about cooking the books. I mean, doing your accounting. Please don't ever say that in front of an accountant. We are, basically, we freeze and go, no, no, we can't joke. Even though we're the ones who go on the battlefield to bayonet the wounded, but, yeah, well. Accounting! Accounting! And I'll also go ahead and add in here for our disclaimers, please do not take any of this for financial or legal advice, unless you're specifically, you know, writing one of us check and we have a contract to do so. But feel free to add your own disclaimers as we dive into this. Yes, I have to, as a certified accountant who has been practicing accounting for 20 years, I must say that I cannot give explicit advice i can only give general guidelines because every situation is different and my fiduciary duty is to do no harm and thus i must declare that i cannot you know tell you exactly how to do your taxes keep you from being audited tell you exactly how to read your royalty report because that's just not possible i don't have that level of psychic powers yet but I'll stand in some radiation and maybe next year I'll be able to do it. So would you like to introduce yourself now that we've gone through all the disclaimers and you're still here? <laughs> I am. Okay. So I am the one, the only, the RE car. That would be because I am actually Rachel Carr, but Rachel Carr writes vegan cookbooks and we get confused for each other. So I get vegan recipes and she gets asked about vampires. Fun times. Uh, when I am not doing my day job as a internal auditor, I also write books, urban fantasy, horror comedy, even some science fiction and lit RPG. And speaking of which, my latest, The Final Girl, part one, <laughs> is out right now. If you want to check out me trying to take on a parody of the Citizen Kane of video games, i.e. The Last of Us. So now we're going to dive into the fun stuff. Then we'll come back to the real fun stuff. Yeah. Who would have thought the one thing my guidance counselor told me I would be terrible at, never should do, I've made a career of rather successfully. Being a writer. So. Ha, 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 ha. Actually, it was the accountant. They said I would. I'm doing accountancy out of spite. Eh, well, we've all done careers out of spite for one reason or another. That is it's true. And then we we wind up doing it for a very long time. I, I at least learned fairly young or fairly early in my career. I did not want to be an accountant, but it's really helpful skills to have if you're going to run a business. Yes, I would say that weirdly enough, being an accountant has helped me out as an author more than I care to admit. So let's actually start down that path. What are the top three things that an author, publisher, somebody in the creative space needs to know about just basic accounting okay basic accounting um let's just start with the b word the one that nobody ever wants to hear the dirty word the word that i have to say in hush hush tones if you're an author you need a budget you need to understand the basics of budgeting and you need to be able to separate what is a business expense for your budget and your personal because yes i could go off on a big tangent about how we all need budgets i know they're they sound boring and unsexy and terrible but they will save you when nothing else will um and they don't have to be very complicated so rule number one you need to have the basics of budgeting because what they don't tell you is that it's not just writing a book sometimes especially if you're self-publishing you might have cover expenses, editor expenses, and marketing. Marketing is just a whole rabbit hole of expenses. And if you don't have a basic budget, you're never going to be able to go to some advanced things like an ROI, which I'm sure we'll go into very generally later. Um, 
And I was just shocked, like legit shocked when I was talking because I know a lot of authors and a lot of accountants and how many of both didn't have a basic budget for their home and for their businesses. And you really can't move forward unless you start with that. So that's the first one. The second one is learn how to read a royalty report, specifically your royalty report. And we'll also go through the basics of that. Royalties are the bread and butter of what authors make. And um, it can get very confusing when you see things like what are advances? What, what are these percentages? What's off net? What's off gross? So I think it's important that if you don't know, ask questions. If there's one thing accountants love, it's questions. No, disclaimer, we actually don't. But we have to answer them if you message us. Um, and then the last one, and this is the dreaded one, the only thing that is certain other than death is taxes. If you are an author, specifically if you've never dealt with this before, all that lovely, juicy royalty income we're going to discuss, it doesn't have taxes taken out of it. It's not like working for a company. Even if you are like working with a big publisher and get your fat check, and if so, why are you watching the show? Go off and burn some money to keep yourself warm or whatever. But even in that case, you are responsible for your own taxes. And it's as much as I was shocked at the number of people who didn't do budgets or who didn't understand royalties i was legit terrified at the number of authors who have come to me particularly in april with surprise i have to do what i have to pay what and worst case i was one of the people i will i will full disclosure i got shocked one year because i didn't realize that one of my offspring dropped off my uh, my tax, the income credit, which I had been using to slightly offset because times were tough. So yeah, even I have been hit by the tax monster. So please, if nothing else, particularly if you've never dealt with like miscellaneous income, seek out a local certified accredited tax professional and have them review your stuff and do it early. Do it as soon as you get those forms because, and, and I'll talk about best practices later, but trust me, you wanna file early and know, or at least prepare and know that amount because if you haven't prepared for it that first time, ouchie, that's, that's my official technical description. So yeah, those are probably the three main points that probably should be discussed. I don't think I've ever used the word ouchie is when I had a large tax bill today. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's the tiny bit of Scandinavian in me. It goes it goes full Minnesota. It's like <laughs> when uh when the bill comes late. Now here's the good news. If you do follow these practices and you prepare and you know your budget and you do the tax prep thing and you understand your royalties, guess what? You won't have that pain. You'll actually just get through your either if you're doing it quarterly, and we'll discuss that lightly, or doing it annually, it won't be painful. Unless, of course, you make stupid hella JK Rowling money, and then you probably have enough to just pay your tax bill anyway. So it's a moot point. So let's actually start with the idea of I actually want to go a little bit into the budget side of things. Yes, definitely one, the root. Well, one of the things I always talk to people about is there is a difference between money in your household, your personal money, whether you get it from a job, anything else like that, and money in a business. Oh, yes. So trying to explain that to somebody is always a little bit of a challenge because they look at you a little bit funny when they're like, well, it's just money. And... So what are your thoughts in terms of personal money versus money in the business? You should always have a lovely little wall. Now, I get some people get very confused. They don't want to deal with multiple bank accounts. But honestly, best practice, number one, you're starting a business, have your own business bank account. 
You can get an online bank. There's several to choose from. You know, they rhyme with Lo-Fi or Hallie or any of those lovely companies. None of them are sponsored. None of them are endorsed. But they're, you know, you want a no-fee account where you can keep money can come in and you can pay business expenses out of. Because believe me, if you can keep them separate from the get-go, it will make your reconciliation at year end so much easier and literally you know if you're you can either use it to immediately reinvest in your author business or if you want the money you can make one nice clean deduction into your bank account and it's just like paying yourself and when we get to taxes i will explain what you're supposed to do with that when you pay yourself um but yeah definitely separate 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 like for example i use paypal which i do have to say because i mean that's what I use. You could also use Venmo or Cash App or any. If you use any sort of cash transfer app, I would have a separate business one for like when you're selling at conventions, uh, when you're taking orders, when you're connecting to if you use an online website, keep it separated because then at the end of the year, instead of having to hunt and sort and figure out what the heck, you know, was this for beers or was this for books? You can literally just pull one report and your future self will thank you. It, it definitely will. Because, you know, they've made it so easy with online banking and instant transfers that, yeah, that's best practice number one. Separate your money when it comes in and always log it when it goes out. So with that in mind, let's actually talk about budgeting because one of you know, mm -hmm. we all have a challenge. The hardest part a lot of the time is to figure out what revenues are going to look like, right? And yeah. you know, forecasting revenues is always a little bit little bit of a challenge. You can kind of estimate there's a lot of things you can do to come up with those. But I actually am more concerned about talking about trying to forecast the expenses. Yeah, that that is what will usually get you. So in budgeting terms, there are a couple key items. There are fixed expenses. Fixed expenses is anything that is regular and is always the same. It's like your rent or your mortgage. It hits every month. It hits on a certain day. It's always there. Those are relatively easy. So if you have any fixed expenses, like if you have a subscription to a software, like if you use Canva or Adobe, that's a fixed author business expense. Or if you use something like Grammarly or Autocrit or any of the, you know, editing software, that's going to be like that. Then there are variable expenses. Now, variable expenses are, they happen every month, but they could vary. It would be like your utility bills. Um, your phone bill can be one for to a certain extent if it's not like unlimited and always set. Um, I'm trying to think like if you had regular printing or postage costs that you did every month, that would be a variable recurring expense. Yeah, ad spend. That's a good one, which you should be setting a very tight budget on. See, Tsunami agrees with me. Um, those those are important and you can kind of put a range on those. So you got your fix. You got that. Now, what authors have a lot of times are irregular expenses and some of them can be large this is your editing fees your cover fees um launch marketing can even be a certain amount cats walking by just doing her thing um so those are always what destroy people in budgets like for example i have i am a member of the sfwa every year in July, my membership renews. So what I need to do is remember that by the time July comes around, I need to have that money. So that's where the concept of a sinking fund comes in. And all a sinking fund is, is you take all of your expenses you know are going to hit sometime around the year, and you put money aside each month towards them. It's just like the old concept of putting money aside for Christmas. So if you know you're writing a book and you're going to have editing and cover expenses, when you start writing the book, you should be setting aside money from your royalties to pay off your expenses you know are going to occur. So, for example, for every title I have, I have a line item budget per book. 
So if I have to cover cover or editing expenses, that goes as a starting expense against the book. So as royalties come in, I'm budget basically doing, you know, is it in the black? Is it in the red? That money is going towards it. And a certain part of every royalty for each book, I set aside a sinking fund, which is cover and editing fees for future books. And depending on what I have in the pipeline and whether or not I have a publisher or it's going to be my own expense, that's how much I put in those categories. Your mileage may vary. This is what works for me. So let's actually go a little bit deeper too, because one of the things that's really important about understanding expenses and money, time, money back to the business, right? Goes back to topic number two, right? It's taxes. Oh, yeah. Because one of the things a lot of the time people don't understand is expenses that you can't deduct as a person, you can deduct as the business. Which is why you want to separate everything. Um, a really good example is the home office setting. Now, I said this is not explicit tax rules. I'm using my own situation as an example here. I cannot deduct my home office expenses because the internet is used by my teenage son, by my husband, and by myself in my office for a W-2 business. Even though I use it on my author business side, I don't necessarily use enough percentage of the, there's no like, it's not like the old days where you would be paying by the megabit, megabyte you know, type of scenario. So if there was a usage component, I might be able to get a percentage, but I can't take my internet bill off as a business expense because I'm using it at my day job and I'm using it, you know, as a household personal thing. So that's just one example. But because in my nice little business account, all my covers, all my editing that's directly for the production of books, it's nice and neatly kept in its own little pile, that's the kind of expense that's deductible. If you're going to a convention purely for the, you know, job of selling books, once again, make sure you check with a tax professional and you're not sneaking a vacation in on this. That's very big, very important. But certain travel expenses to go to a convention to sell books or to be an author are the kind of things that you can do. And you want to make sure if you do that, you put them with your business side accounts. Just like if you were traveling at a normal corporate job, you would use the corporate credit card because that's what you get paid back on because the company pays it. So other things that, that I think it's important for everybody to remember are let's, let's start with the kinds of taxes you're going to deal with, right? Oh boy. So let's, let's start with the easy one. Um, one of the things that everybody's used to from, you know, from a job standpoint is you know, withholding for FICA and everything else. Mm -hmm. One of those first nice little surprises becomes that self-employment tax. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the self-employment tax. Let's just put it this way. I said, this is a guideline. Keep in mind, talk to your tax professional. But whenever you are making any sort of income that is not tied to a W-2, before you do anything else with the money, before you touch it, before you look at it, before you smell it, if you do that sort of thing, take at least 25% and up to 40% of that money and just put it away. Put it in a high yield savings account if you would like to make some interest on it and combat inflation and just set it aside. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist until Uncle Sam and you have a reckoning and file your taxes. Um, if you are really worried and conservative, put 40% straight in. If you know that you have a day job and you are, you know, 90% or more of your income is from that, let's be real, you could put closer to 25, but it it's all about what you and your financial advisor personally decide works with your risk tolerance. But at least 25% doesn't exist when you get it, just doesn't. Put it away immediately. If you can set up automatic withdrawals and whenever you get a deposit from Amazon or your publisher or whatever, have it go straight into savings and then you budget the rest. It just absolutely the best practice because I have found time and time again, 
when you're dealing with money, if you can't see it and you can't access it in a checking account, it goes into a happy little, you know, unknown place because nothing is worse <laughs> than spending all of your lovely hard-earned royalties and then the tax bill comes. Trust me. I have had to help too many crying self-employed professionals. <laughs> Please. And and yes, if you start making a threshold, I believe it's over $1,000, you might have to file quarterly. That's why you want to talk when you're starting to do any sort of business. Spend that little bit of money in the beginning and talk to a tax professional and let them look at your situation. Because, But I guarantee you they're going to say the same thing I do, which is to take at least 25 and up to 40% of it and just set it away in a savings account and then take it out only, literally only pay taxes with it. So let's also talk a little bit about sales taxes. Oh, boy. Now, this is completely, I have to say, dependent on your state and the state you are actually selling and versus where you live. There's a lot of nuance. So once more, I have to put the disclaimer on sales tax because this is definitely a, you want to look it up before you go. But never mess around. Don't mess around with any sort of tax. Income tax, number one, don't mess around. Number two, don't mess around with sales tax because they will bill your butt. Yes, they will. And Oh, yeah. Tennessee, especially we're looking at the, you. Yeah, and especially with some of the new provisions and if you have over certain dollar thresholds and dollar amounts per year, certain pays, all of the reporting of that is increasing significantly. So, yes. And as several states are looking to bolster budget deficits, they are more likely to come after you than not. So, when in doubt, declare it. Just, just, just do it. <laughs> just do and it. Also the, yeah. And also the fact that a lot of the electronic payment systems like for example, PayPal or Stripe or some of these others are also putting it in now. So you have, or even Venmo, it's, is this for business or is it for personal to start tracking taxable, taxable transactions? Exactly. And you should never lie about this. I'm looking at you. You, yes, you. It is always a business. That's why you have a business account. You do just business in the business account and you party in the back in your personal account. Treat it like the mullet of finances. But yes, there's a reason why they're tracking it. It's a big CYA in all the companies. Yeah. So don't be caught not collecting sales tax. Um, I'm not talking about if you're selling a $5 keychain to your friend or something like that. But if you are serious about your author business, make sure you have your correct business license for your state and that you pay your taxes exactly as you should. And you have a tax professional look over it if you have even the slightest doubt. Because they don't mess around. And if you're yes, doing things looking at Tennessee. Yeah, well. And if you're doing things like frequently do shared booths, things like that, whoever is responsible for that, make sure that they've got the taxes and stuff covered as well. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, when in doubt, you can round up your prices yeah. to include tax, kind of like the European model that includes a VAT. Um, just to make it easier, because nobody wants to be at a con and go, yes, it's $24.97, that kind of thing. So let's actually talk a little bit about royalties. You, know, you hinted at the fact that this is kind of the, the lifeblood of royalties, or lifeblood of authors, right? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about royalties. So at their base nature, a royalty is a residual payment for the use and value of it could be a software license, it could be a creative endeavor, but it is a recurring payment for the use of said item. Intellectual now, property. Intellectual property. It cannot, yeah, the, it goes through a lot. Yeah. It's used a lot in software land too. So basically, what they're saying is authors and software designers, we're the same, really. And music. And music, yes. Anything that is in a way, it's unique, but not necessarily tangible. Um, but you pay royalties. Sometimes they're called residuals. And the way they work a lot of times in author land is now you either can just be paid royalties, a split of royalties, 
For example, if you're doing an audiobook, you may be splitting your royalties with the producer. Um, you may be splitting royalties with an editor. I have seen that in a contract. How they got that one. Hey, good call editor. I'm on you. Um, or it could you could be splitting with a co-author. And so thus, so there's either royalties that just go to you or they could be split with other people. There are also what are known as advances on royalties. And this is one where I have to explain to people what an advance is. And we should just get it off the bat. An advance is a prepayment. It is not an additional. It's not like a signing bonus. Unless it explicitly says this is a signing bonus type thing. What an advance is, is a advance of your future royalties. So say they gave you $1,000 as an advance. Go you. You're awesome. And you're going to get $1 for every book that you sell. That's roughly what your royalty percentage works out to be with the price. We're just making it simple. It's going to take you selling 1,000 copies of your book to pay back that $1,000 advance. And yes, you do have to pay taxes on the full 1,000 when you get paid, just so you know. Now, royalty, royalty advances can either be uh, non-refundable or refundable. Just remember that. So if you don't earn out your advance, you may have to pay back the thing if you cancel your contract. So always read your contract. Most that I've dealt with have been non-refundable, which means, hey, you got your thousand bucks. If they decide to take the book out of print and you've only sold 800, they're not going to ask you for the 200 back. Um, but it's, you're also not going to get paid anymore. It's a loan, effectively. It's a payday loan on your royalties with no interest. Um, but yeah, I always feel like I need to explain that and clear it up because some people just don't get like, okay, I got, I got an advance. Why am I not getting any, like, I don't get a check next month or next quarter or next semi-annual or next annual. It's until you have sold enough to earn out your advance. That's the term. You don't get any individual royalties. Once your advance is paid back to the publisher, you're going to start getting a percentage of the sale of your book every time it's sold. And usually the reporting requirements are pretty simple. They just have to tell you the number of units sold, the number of units returned, the percentage, and the royalty. Why don't we and talk a little bit? Let's talk a little bit about some of the fun games that publishers can play and the reason it's really important to understand that royalty statement. Well, a big one is if your royalty is refundable type thing. If, they, if you don't earn it, you have to pay the rest. Always check that. It's not very common anymore, but you know, there's some shadier places that may have it. Um, it could be that you don't get paid if you're doing a series until all of them earn out. I have seen that one. What are some you've heard of? Well, there's the things you can get into where um, royalties get paid gross versus net. What does yeah. gross and net mean? Okay. So gross is off the total price of the book. If your book is $5 and you get 25%, you're going to get 25% of the $5 sale price. Net is going to be, say that book costs $250 to print, you're going to only get 25% of the $2.50 profit on the book. So if that book gets discounted to $2.60, you're only going to get 25% of $0.10. Cents. So um, a lot of these sort of highly discounted sales are for things like airports, uh, grocery store racks, those kind of very cheap um, books that get sold. You might not get. I think once I got a one cent royalty on a book sold at Walmart, one whopping cent. I took a picture of that royalty statement because I was just like, yep, that's what percentage of net means. <laughs> Well, and this is one of those things, especially when you're working with publishers, are the deals that get cut. Because I, I think one of the things that, and I, I preach this frequently, and I've talked about this on the show with other people, but yeah. depending on the retailer that the publisher is working with yeah. can have a large impact, especially if you're working in net. Um, because if, you're, if they wind up doing even the online sales through Walmart, Target, 
Oh, oh yes, I'm very familiar with the online Walmart and Target <laughs> pennies. So lovely. You, you might feel good about being in those stores, but really, but you're, you're not, not going to make one. No. And and hey, but don't you know it's exposure? And I would like to say, as an accountant, I have yet to find a uh, source that reputably takes exposure bucks. Please let me know if you find one. But they'll still tax them. Um, yes, at full price. Yeah. So these are, I, I think that covers a lot of the things that are questions that when I do workshops or when we talk. Oh, and returns do yeah. deduct your royalties. That is one thing you need to be prepared for. And you only get royalties off the first sale. That's capitalism 101. So if you sell your book and someone eBays it, you don't get any royalties. I I find that weird that I have to explain it, but then I realize not everyone has been an accountant for 20 plus years. Well, and I think the returns become important too, because depending yeah. on how the publisher and, and the bookseller operate, it could be that those books get shipped back to the publisher, or it could be all they send back are covers. Yes. And then it's just, oh, it's it's wasteful, it's awful, but it is what it is. Um, and I've seen the return policy, depending on the store and the return rates, counted differently depending on which one they do. Correct. Um, and then some of the other kind of interesting things I've seen around royalties and whatnot are great are graduated royalty programs where it's like front loading. In other words, you know, the first thousand books sold or first 10,000 books sold are at a certain royalty rate. Correct. Past that, it's an it's a it's a higher grade royalty rate and whatnot. So there's graduated royalty rates you can get into as well. Yeah, it can also be called a tiered royalty rate. That's another um, buzzword you should look for. Whenever you see a tier, kind of go, okay, what are you really? You should you should ask what are your expectations for sales so you can. I said you need to be able to budget and forecast and yes i know nobody can predict lightning in a bottle but at least you can have a realistic expectation as to when your royalties will change usually i will say in tiered rates they are for the better the more you sell because obviously the the publisher knows if you know they get a big win and you get more money you're more likely to write book number two and make them more money in the future and if it bombs well at least they were only out the lower royalty rate well, and one of the other things I've seen too around the tiered or, or graduated systems is that that first tier royalty rate is really kind of designed to help pay for the book. And then when yeah. you go up to the next tier, there's also other incentives tied to those tiers like marketing rates, things like this. Mm -hmm. But also I think mo you know that that's also one of those things that sometimes you see publishers use to incentivize um, and you would think it would work, but frequently authors, creators, other people forget that they've got to put in the work to really hit those incentive numbers. Yeah. And I will say this is probably not, a, it's an accounting, not a marketing post, but it gone are the days where you think the publisher is going to have a publicist dedicated just for you and to sell your book is the greatest thing ever. If you get a traditional publishing deal, like there is more expectation than ever that you're supposed to put in the work. And some of these tiered rates are really to try to encourage authors to do some heavy lifting and to take on some of that marketing load, particularly in the initial launch of the book. And yeah, it's like I said, it goes back to budgets. These publishers are, for every title, they're running a profit and a loss. They want to try to recoup their costs as much as possible because remember, a real press is not going to charge you for editing or cover. That's a vanity press thing. And I, I know vanity press has a bad word, but it's a different category where they're just basically a book service provider. A publisher is trying to take on your book as a brand and they're going to do the cover. They're going to do the editing to make it fit their style. And yes, they are definitely going to do everything in their power to make sure they at least recoup those costs. So, And I think there's one other thing that's important to look at. Because, I mean, since Amazon is the 800-pound gorilla um, sitting on top of the... They're up to 900 now for inflation. Yeah, well. Amazon, if, when you, if you are indie published, when Amazon sends you a royalty... It is a different kind of royalty than if you're receiving it from a traditional publisher. Mm. Um, I was going, mm. Oh, I was yeah, going to say, 
because again, now both of them, now you're pretty much are going to treat as ordinary income. Again, this is that disclaimer about how things get done and how they get taxed. But again, yeah. there are still some differences there between a publisher's royalty and that of what Amazon refers to as a royalty, which is really nothing more than them acting as here's your distributor share for having sold the book. Yes. Although it all now kind of boils down to your 1099 NEC miscellaneous income. It's it's more, the tax part's actually weirdly simpler. Yeah, there um, used to be a bigger benefit to getting real royalties. Yes, um, now they're all treated as... Yeah, as pretty much ordinary income. income. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anything else from an accounting standpoint that you think we ought to throw on the table? I think... As I said, please keep your expenses separate. Also, log everything. If you do anything and it happens to still be archaic and have a paper receipt, scan that and keep a folder of all your things. Back up everything for at least seven years. Um, that currently is the, the trend. And knock on wood, I don't know when this is recorded. It may change. Check with your tax professional. Um, but yes, document save, keep everything business separate. You know, I would strongly recommend, you know, use a budgeting app and set up your business as its own budget or use a spreadsheet. It can be Google Docs. It can be Excel. It can be a notebook ledger. If you're that much of a Luddite, I'm not judging. I sometimes do it too. But for every, I mean, you don't have to, I don't know, some people like to do it in total, I do it per book, but you need to know, if you want to be successful long term, you really need to know what things cost and what things earn, and especially if you're doing things like advertising, what you're spending versus what you're earning, so you can see if you're getting an ROI, a return on your investment. It's a very scary sounding financial term that literally just means, am I making money? Or is this costing me money? Now, I know some people who literally their books are costing them money because they love producing books and they want to have beautiful covers and they want to have it professional. And that's fine. If if you're running it as a loss, it's still log it so you can take it off your taxes <laughs> from the little income you have. Well, and I think it's let's talk a little bit about ROI um, yes. because and how you look at things, because there is the cost for producing a book. Mm -hmm. and, and this is one of those other things that I that I teach and preach about is if you're going to do indie publishing, you know, even or if you're hybrid, right? But mm -hmm. if you the, the books that you're putting out yourself as the publisher is have on the hat of you as the publisher versus you as the author. And one of the things that I do strongly recommend, and this kind of goes back to it, is when you're producing books, I've even advised some people run two sets of books. Run the set, set of books for the stuff you're publishing yourself and the stuff that you're producing as an author. Even if they're all underneath the same business, the same P&L, understand, are you running a profitable publishing business, an author business? Are you profitable as an author? The publisher has got needs to do work because looking at and knowing operationally how the two pieces work can also be really helpful information. Yeah, I think it's very easy when you're, I mean, we are creatives. It's free. Why do we have to money? I find there's something very empowering about having a sort of logical Vulcan-like framework for the business side. Maybe that's just the way my mind works. You know, I'm kind of like Spock. I'm, I'm half, half Vulcan, aka accountant, half human author. And sometimes it really helps because weirdly enough, you can be in a creative rut and go, what should I work on? What should I do? And sometimes just looking at the numbers, I know it sounds mercantile and cruel, but if you go, hey, my lit RPG is making a 200% return and is cheap to produce and I need a little influx of cash, it might just give you that motivation when nothing else will, because I don't know about you. I can't live off exposure bucks and I like to eat and I like to have my rent paid. 
So don't feel ashamed if you ever just need to look at your numbers to go, what should I write next? And the other good thing is if you keep a tight book and you know, you can go, hey, I want to write this book of cat haikus that's going to cost me 300 bucks and make maybe five bucks if my second cousin buys it. And that's okay because I've budgeted for it. This is I, There's nothing worse than being surprised. So I think... If you can just sort of get over the creative fuzzy wuzzy, this isn't my jam, and do a little bit of prep work. Like once you have that in, if you have a budget, if you can go, my book costs five hundred dollars to produce. I've made four hundred and sixty in royalties. By next month, this book is going to be profitable, and every month after, unless I spend a lot on advertisement, is going to make money. You know, knowing those sorts of things can give you confidence in the future. And if you feel confident and you feel secure, it's a lot easier to create. And if it, one of the hardest things I often get when I'm talking, and and I think we've even talked about this, is that notion of putting a monetary value on your creative output. Yeah, I got over that when uh, my royalties paid to send me to Tokyo. I'm fine. I'm fine with money being my uh, have a have a dollar. We live in a post capitalist horror show of a reality. Um, I'm not too prissy to say that my ideas aren't worth a buck. Well, and from my viewpoint, it is the fact that if you're investing time, you're investing capital, you're investing resources, and if people are getting a benefit out of that you have a right to reap part of that benefit, which means absolutely pay me my royalties, you know, oh, buy yeah. the book. Support if you're supporting me, that means I can put more books out the door. I mean, even you you go, Leonardo da Vinci had patrons, okay? Like you still have to eat. You still have to have a roof over your head. And it's and it can go the other way too. If you have a good solid grasp on your finances, you can have your authorship be a hobby. If you just keep it separate, because the last thing you want to do, and I have, this is, this is a tragedy. I'm not going to name any names to protect the guilty, but I have seen people who have just spent an inordinate amount on a creative project. And they've, I, the worst part is if they feel regret, because it's like when you buy, you spend too much at Christmas and then the credit card bill comes due. So realistically even if it's a hobby like if you were going and buying craft paint and supplies you would still have a budget in a you know perfect world you would have a budget for spending it so yes this applies to even people who feel that their art is a i don't want to say a hobby because that seems so is like a creative endeavor it still needs money to support it so you should take the time at least in the beginning and periodically to make sure that you know your finances are in order because it will make the rest of your life easier and stress makes you not creative. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. And I mean, I think that is one of those things is uh, because we, we all know people that have had that conversation about, Oh, well, if I tie money to it, um, if I tie money to anything, I lose, I lose joy in it. I lose value in it and everything else. And again, that's one of those things that pretty much my belief is that, you have to get past that because fundamentally there is nothing that will kill much like you're saying creative process, creative output, then stressing over paying the bills. Exactly. And, and here's the other thing. If you literally, you just want to do it for fun, then there are so many low cost and no cost ways you can go about this process. This is more for once you start thinking, hey, I want to do this, whether it be as a side hustle or as a career, you can't get away from the money part. <coughs> and if you try, you're only setting yourself up for failure. It would be like running a food truck and not tracking your food costs. You're eventually going to fail. Excuse me. So let's actually shift a little bit. Um, let's actually talk a little bit about the creative side. You mean I'm allowed to be a creative too? Yes, you are. 
Woohoo! Put the Vulcan back in the corner. Out comes the human side of Rachel. Uh, let's not push things too much now. So let's put the emotional creative side of Rachel. <laughs> there we go. What value? I mean, other than obviously the tens of dollars that you make as an author, you know, getting trapped, run off to to Tokyo and all the good things. Yes. But creative outlet, creative output, being able to be part of a creative space. What does that do for you personally? I have learned that if I don't create my mental health, starts to degrade and it degrades rapidly and it can be very challenging because i am an auditor and if you know anything about the auditing profession we are very project tied so there are weeks and sometimes even a month of the year i'm sure you can guess when that is it's accounting um where i can be working <laughs> 60 70 80 up to 100 hours in a week just on accounting and i watch it's like a meter going down so i try to take some time off periodically throughout after those projects and i just try to be creative um i've written stories since i was five years old i wrote my first book with chapters when i was eight i had my first uh i guess technically my first publication was a play i wrote in ninth grade so this has always been a part of me and I want to sort of smash that belief that you can't work in a logical, cold profession and still have a creative side. Um, I think it's very important that every human being expresses their creativity, whether it's, you know, making a new recipe, writing a book if you want to, or just, I don't know, make a tweet, make a, or no, we can't say that anymore. What do you call it? Eh, I don't know. You write a social media post and make it funny. You could do that. Well, so with that, with the notion that creative output stimulates, it helps mental health. I, I absolutely. It yeah. helps keep the crazy intact. Um, yeah. I, I would say if you read my books, you must think that I am absolutely insane um, because that's where I let it all out. And thus, I'm a happy little accountant who bakes cookies and gives them to people and is a pacifist and has cats. And is still waiting to get some of those cookies again because it's been too long. But that's... I will hook you up after this. But even beyond that, you know, does carrying kind of that creative juice, that creative energy, even something as fundamental and structured as going into accountant and doing financial work does that creativity help you view the work differently oh absolutely like my job is effectively finding mistakes and telling people politely that they did them i'm an auditor i think that the reason why i can do my job differently is that i see things in ways that people don't probably because i'm neurodivergent but also because i'm a creative also, my ability to write stories also contributes to communication. So I don't know if you've talked to a lot of accountants, but some can be a little dry and not explain things to non-accountants. So I have found over the years that I can use my gift of communication to help other people understand things that would normally be almost alien. I mean, I can write science fiction. I can explain someone a GL report. So if somebody was sitting there looking at just their mundane day-to-day, -day, you know, the day-to-day -day gig, right? Mm -hmm. What's the number one thing you would say about the value of having that creative outlet and that creative output, not necessarily for commercial work or side hustle or anything else, just what is that greatest value that you can okay. find out of having that creative output? It's about being human, fundamentally. I mean, there's a certain part of us, we're all bound to stories, we're all bound to a narrative, whether it's watching a sports ball game and getting hooked up on the underdog doing the big point at the end. I'm sure I butchered that. I think that was football. Um, or if it's, you know, watching the news and feeling moved by what they're telling you. 
or just going through your day-to-day job and seeing something a little bit different or having a moment to daydream when you're bored to tears looking at a never-ending spreadsheet. Those moments where you sort of step outside just the action that you're doing, they're what save you when when nothing else will. I think it's just part of who we are. I mean, a long time ago, we were all kids running around doing nonsense. And that's how we learn to be human. So don't that's give it up. I it. At eight, I was running around being an accountant. That's where I screwed up. <laughs> you know what the funny thing is? My mom, rest her soul, rest in peace, uh, had me do her books for her sales commission. And I was 10. And I would run the little numbers down the spreadsheet. And she said, oh, yeah, it's fun, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, okay. I got bribed with a kitten. I did her books for a whole month. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is fun things like that. But sometimes it is the where you can step aside and, and make something not fun fun. That's what creativity does. I think that's a pretty good spot to wrap this one up on. Unless you've got something else you want to throw in the mix. No, I think I just want people to know that you can be a creative, you can be a different type of person. You can be neurodivergent, you can be queer, you can be whatever you want, and you can still have a motherfucking budget, okay? Just, it is not a dirty word. They are not mutually exclusive, no matter how special happy rainbow you think you are. So, and also don't be afraid to ask help. Financial education is abysmal right now in most places. It's not like you're being taught at school how compound interest works or how to do a budget and things like that. So don't be ashamed to be a beginner, to ask for help and be both creative and track your finances, please. So if people now feel the need they've got to come pick out and find out all about you and maybe some ah. of the books that you're cranking out the door. Too many Where books can they right find now. You? Sure, you can find me at rachelecar.com because remember, the original Rachel Carr, she wrote vegan cookbooks. If you want to find me on any social media, I am Total Recar. Oh yes, it's like Total Recall but with an RR at the end. And if you get what my handle is, you'll probably get the humor in my books. Thanks for hopping on with me, Rachel. Oh, my pleasure always. And until next time, go get that budget ready. Yes. Next week. (laughs) Bye.